Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.58 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 26th of April, 2022, and this is episode 580 of Bitcoin. And we're going to, I'm going to do what I promised to do uh, yesterday, and that was to tell you about the Beef Initiative Conference that's coming up in, I believe, September, uh, but it's out at a place called White Oak Pastures. It is, uh, it's a farm run by gentleman by the name of Will Harris down there in Georgia, uh, Southern Georgia to be exact. Um, he's an interesting cat, but a lot of this, I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity uh, for reasons that I think you'll understand later as we get into it. Um, I'm going to tell you my Bitcoin story because A, I don't think I've ever done that on this show. Uh, I think I've probably alluded to it. I have talked to other uh, people about it on their podcast, but I've never actually done it, you know, whole hog on on this particular show. And it's going to provide some context, amazingly enough, to Will Harris's White Oak Pastures, and you'll figure out why. Uh, before we get into that, uh, reminder, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go if you want to support the show. That's just the way it is. So it is the ability for you to stream me value for value. You can give me Satoshis while I give you these words and you can do it real time while you're listening with a podcasting 2.0 enabled apps. It has to be a podcasting 2.0 enabled app because when you get the podcast feed from a podcasting 2.0 app, it gives you my adjusted RSS feed coming out of SoundCloud. So you'll, you'll, the SoundCloud is my host and no matter what platform you're listening to it on, um, SoundCloud ends up being where the, the actual audio file is stored. However, when it goes through podcasting 2.0, that particular RSS feed or the, the RSS feed out of, uh, SoundCloud has been modified with my lightning wallet address. In fact, it's not my, really my lightning wallet. It's my lightning node. So when you're streaming me Satoshis for these dulcet tones, it's going right into my node without anybody getting in my way or your way for that matter. If you don't want to do that, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. Um, We're also going to talk a little bit about news. I know that yesterday was a very different format for me. It just... It just worked out that way. Well, that difference is going to carry over a little bit into uh, this morning. However, we are going to do some news. We're going to talk about the Swiss prediction or tradition being a perfect match for Bitcoin. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Fidelity allowing 401k retirement savings accounts to invest in Bitcoin. We're going to talk a little bit about how Bitcoin supply is more distributed than critics claim. 
and we're going to talk a little bit about the U.S. Treasury and the Ethereum $622 million Ronin network hack. And we may have time to get into a little bit more. I'm not sure, but we're just going to end it for there for now. Okay, so Will Harris, Beef Initiative, at Modern T-Man, and that's Texas Slim. Okay, Texas Slim's outfit <clears throat> put on a show or a conference over this last weekend down in Kerrville, Texas, and I talked about that ad nauseum yesterday so if you want to if you did not hear yesterday's show and you want to hear about what the hell happened at the bitcoin or the uh, beef initiative conference please go listen to episode 579 of bitcoin and at the end of that or while i was talking about that i said that i would tell you about why the beef initiative the third beef initiative conference in this series coming up in georgia at will harris's place <clears throat> is going to be really special it, it's going to be really special to me and that's if i get to go and that's a big if man that's for me that's halfway across the country that's a that's a hell of a trek because i don't think i really want to fly which means if i drive talking to we're talking a couple of days so sorry taking a sip of coffee will harris and white oak pastures but before we begin that one how the hell did i get into bitcoin so I'm at work, I'm working, I just began a new job working at uh, Texas Tech University Libraries. I was hired to be the lead administrator for 3D Animation Labs, the Informatic Media Lab, the Digital Media Studio. I mean, honestly, if it had anything to do with 3D Animation, like any of the Adobe Photoshop packages, if it had anything to do with Autodesk's, you know, suite of AutoCAD and related family of products. It was on computers that I built that I was, you know, I had to do all the licensing for this stuff. I made sure that we were always up to date. You know, I like spec'd out computers, the whole ball of wax, right? And while I was there, there were significant areas of downtime, right? And when you have downtime the, at work and there's absolutely nothing to do, you need to find something to do because it's a waste, of, a waste of time. So what I started doing is somehow or another, I got a bug in my ear about hydroponics. I had already kind of, you know, been interested in it. But I took the time to start learning about hydroponics and it doesn't take too long before you start falling down different kind of rabbit holes. And one of the ones that I fell down was aquaponics, where you use fish in a system to grow plants. I'm not going to describe that right now. Just trust me. <clears throat> the fish poop and pee in the water. Those nutrients get mineralized in the water. The plant roots are bathed in the same water. It's a flow-through system, so it's not just like you put plants on top of a tank of water with fish. It's more involved than that. But that led into other areas like high density aquaponics and then i got into started looking at aeroponics and then all lo and behold i see this word called permaculture you've heard me mention permaculture before on many occasions on this show that's how i got there by this time i had started becoming really interested in listening to podcasts because it's a really easy way uh, to <clears throat> be able to do something else with your hands while you're still ingesting information you know like driving, washing the dishes, you know, 
minor gardening. You know, you can't really do it while you're mowing the lawn if you're using a gas-powered mower because it makes too much damn noise. But so I get into permaculture and I find these people. And one of the people that I found in permaculture was a guy by the name of Diego Footer. And he had the Permaculture Voices podcast, which he doesn't do anymore. And sadly, for some reason, he doesn't even link to his, he's got like a couple of other podcasts now that are kind of the same, but different, but all like, I can't find his original Permaculture Voices uh, material. So if, and I know Diego's not listening, but Diego, dude, don't ever trash your year's worth of work. If just because you change the name of your podcast, at least put it in an archive and link to it so people can find it because that's where I discovered Will Harris the third. When Texas Slim was telling me about, he's like, well, you know, Will Harris, don't you? And I go, why does that name sound familiar? I'm like going shit. And it bugged me and it bugged me and it bugged me. And it wasn't until I got home on Sunday that I was able to look it up and realize, oh shit, Will Harris was my light bulb moment for everything. So I've been listening to podcasts, I've been listening to Diego Footer, been listening to people like, um, oh, um, no, talks from Alan Savory. I've been looking for, like, I mean, I was ingesting a, an immense amount of information. So people like uh, jo uh, Jeff Lawton, and then that led me to Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast. You, I highly recommend that y'all at least give uh, Jack Spierko a tryout. He's, um, he's one of my favorites in the space. But be that as it may, one day I'm listening to Diego Footer, Permaculture Voices podcast, and there was this, this man that had this big, thick, southern drawl in his name, Will Harris III from White Oak Pastures. And let me tell you a little bit about White Oak Pastures. Pastures. <clears throat> I'm gonna, I've got this thing from the California State University at Chico, and it's a write-up, their write-up of White Oak Pastures. Pastors, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I've got some things highlighted here, though, that um, talks about some of the highlights about what's going on here. The Harris family has raised cattle on the same Bluffton, southern Georgia farm for five generations. He, this guy is a fifth generation farmer slash rancher on this particular land. And the whole thing started not terribly long after the Civil War in 1866. And it was clearly run in traditional methods, okay? They did the normal stuff that you did, but here it comes, ladies and gentlemen, after World War II, the traditional way of life eroded as modern methods on that farm of raising livestock and distributing meat were adopted. The family used new chemical tools that science had introduced to the farming industry and the slaughtering process became more centralized and, this is key, distant from their pastures, right? That's going to be a key issue here when it comes to the beef initiative, and we'll come to that here in a second, but I wanted to tell you more about this particular farm. They made changes. Will Harris III made changes, and the way this works is that He's fifth generation. Okay, by the time his gr his granddaddy got a hold of that farm, it was still completely traditional. Slowly, between the end of his great his grandfather's life and his, over the course of his father's life, they had changed it basically into a CAFO. Uh, 
uh, cattle, oh, what was it? Um, oh God, <laughs> feeding operation. Uh, centralized animal feeding operation, that's not exactly the way, it's something else, but essentially it's a feedlot. When you, you know, if you've ever driven by a feedlot, you know it, because you can smell it, and it's like a shit ton of animals really bunched close together inside of a whole bunch of fencing, and they never go do anything else. They never get to roam, they never get to graze, that's where they're fed the corn, that's where they're fed the graze. <clears throat> and w by the time that Will Harris got the farm, it was 100% feedlot, 100% CAFO, 100% commercial production. And one day, he walked outside and decided to change everything. So on the one hand, these changes made food and the changes he's talking about, the, the chemical tools and the slaughtering processes and all that stuff, the, the changes made food much cheaper and abundant wastefully abundant, as White Oak Pastors puts it. But they say it also caused situations where the animals were no longer being raised and slaughtered as humanely as was done in the past. And it had horrific effects on the environment in terms of topsoil loss, pesticide contamination, escalated greenhouse gases, antibiotic-resistant pathogens, etc., etc., etc. It also led to impoverishment of the local rural community system of farming as the necessary infrastructures to maintain local food sheds were destroyed and food production became centralized. This was particularly true in Bluffton where the economy practically collapsed. Today, White Oak Pastures produces grass-fed beef, goats, and lamb, as well as pastured pork, turkey, chicken, duck, goose, guinea, and rabbit on 3,200 acres. They also grow 60 different varieties of organic vegetables. They gave up feeding their animals grain. They don't give them hormone implants or antibiotics. And by 2000, they had given up chemical fertilizers and pesticides. In 2016, they committed themselves to regenerative agriculture and holistic management techniques becoming one of only 23 global savory hubs. They're talking about Allen Savory. And the biggest investment was in creating a plant for slaughtering and processing on the property instead of continuing to ship the animals elsewhere. Now, that was one of the key moments of the key, my key light bulb moments and turning points in my life when he started talking about what it took to put what's called an abattoir on his farm because he's in Georgia. He has to have USD, USDA inspection. And if I remember the numbers correctly, this gentleman spent $1 million. Actually, he borrowed $1 million and spent that. That farm had been profitable and never in debt for five generations until Will Harris III got a hold of it. And he had to go into debt and take three years of no profits. Not only no profits, he was operating at a loss for three years because animal welfare, for some reason, for Will Harris, was top priority. And it cost a million dollars to do the abattoir and new fencing and some other things that they had to do on the farm the day that he told his staff, that they were no longer going to be a CAFO and they were going to open up all the gates in the CAFO and they put those cows out on pasture. 
Now they probably those particular cows didn't do very well because they were they're KFO cows, right? They're, they're, so he it took him a long time to readjust genetics of the cows to be able to get proper grass feed. They had to learn a lot. I mean, he he basically he was in his fifties when he did this, or forties at least. They were losing money for three years. They had to learn all these things all over again. I mean, think about that. I mean, this is a guy who just walks out and, and just determines that the animals on his farm do not have the welfare that they need. And one of the other things that he says, and he kind of reflects uh, Joel Salatin, the pigs could not act like pigs. The cows could not act like cows. Chickens could not act like chickens on his farm. And what does he mean by that? All these animals, they have an innate sense that they need to do something like chickens. They peck at the ground and they scratch. That's in their nature. You're not going to breed that out of a chicken. So when you've got them in these egg laying boxes and they spend their entire life there, they can never scratch. You're a human being. One of the things that you do is walk. One of the other things that you do is create. Think about being put in a place where you could no longer walk and you were your creativity was shut down. How long do you think you'd last? It may just be a chicken, ladies and gentlemen, but that chicken is imbued with the life that God gave all of us. Maybe it is just a mere chicken and they have chicken brains. But when you put a half a million chickens into boxes, they're called batteries, egg-laying batteries, and they can't scratch, do you think that they're not going to have a, a huge amount of stress? They're built to scratch. That's what they do. So Will Harris put them out on pasture so that they could scratch. And that does wonders, wonders for the pasture. We'll get into that. Cows, they graze, they walk around, and they poop. When you put them in a CAFO and they're no longer getting any grass whatsoever, right? Even finished beef in a CAFO at one point or another was probably on grass for a little while. I'll give you that. But for a great part of their life, they don't get grass, they get grain. And they're not really built to eat grain, not, not all by itself anyway, at least, at the very least. So they can't do the things that they normally can do. And because you're, you've confined them all, you've got an immense amount of poop that you've got to move around. So now you're burning gas. Whereas if they're walking around in a pasture and you're doing it correctly, you don't have to worry about that because they're solar powered, mobile composting machines. When they eat grass, what comes out the other side is not exactly poop as we think of human fecal matter. It's a lot of fermented grass that has basically been fermented to death and they've been able to harvest the nutrients out of that fermentation process. But if you were to look closely at a cow pie from a healthy cow on pasture, you'd see blades of grass in there that are like, yeah, they're digested, but they're still obviously blades of grass. And they're completely embedded with all manner of bacteria that are grown in the rumen of the animal. And that goes back into the soil. What I'm getting at here is that this gentleman, Will Harris III, did, he started 
his farm on a path to regenerative agriculture. I think he's back into profit. I'm not sure. I remember him making a statement saying that he was going to be in the ground well before all those loans were paid off. And every single one of his family members and all of his staff and, and the workers on his farm thought the old man had lost his mind and he's in, and told him not to do this. And he's like, he kind of reminds me of a Bitcoiner. Tell me not to do something one more fucking time. Tell me, tell me not to do something just once and see what happens. Tell me I can't do something once. You see what happens. Tell Bitcoiners they can't do something. Look what happened. I'm just telling you, man. So back to the my origin story for Bitcoin. After that particular interview, Diego Fitter interviewing Will Harris III about all these things and more, I could not get enough permaculture. And it wasn't until about 2012 that I first heard the word Bitcoin, and that was given to me by a, uh, an office mate of mine. And I immediately dismissed it. Immediately. Lots of people do. That's, that's generally speaking, the, 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 this is the path that, that a lot of Bitcoiners take. Why did I dismiss it? Because it was digital. Could be copied. I'm I'm telling you, man, I'm just as ignorant as any of I was just as ignorant at the time because I was just a no-coiner. Had the same no-coining mindset. I had played many, many video games where I've seen the economies of those games, and we're talking about massively multiplayer online stuff, right? <clears throat> and they all tried to have an economy. And every single economy got jacked to the tits because somebody figured out how to, I don't know, duplicate the gold or duplicate whatever money it was that was being used in game and essentially made it worthless. And after that, they went after rare items, making them worthless. Why? Because they were just figuring out how to duplicate, you know, the plus five sword of weirding or some shit like that, that you only got if you went to go fight a troll and then some idiot figures out how to duplicate it and it basically crashes the market value of that particular item. Time and time again, I'd seen it happen. This is why proof of work revolutionized everything. And by going back to proof of stake, it's going to destroy everything. However, it's not. All these idiots can go to proof of stake all day long, and it's still just a Ponzi. I'm just going to continue on here. So then I'm listening to a podcast, and I told you about it, the Survival Podcast with Jack Spierko. And he mentioned Bitcoin vehemently. He didn't just mention it. He mentioned the shit out of it. That was my second touch. Nah, nah, I'm still not convinced. Maybe it's cool. And then the news of Dogecoin started, you know, that was, uh, oh, what, they were sponsoring the NAS, that, that NASCAR car. And we thought it was cute. And we joked about it at the office. And that was about the extent of it. And then I was listening to Jack Spirico a couple of years later. This is 2015. And it was clear, it was uh, actually... Throughout that summer and getting into September that he went on a freaking tirade about you've got, if you don't get any of this, you're going to have fun staying poor. Although he didn't put it, he didn't put it that way. He put it in his own way. He was like going, get, you know, get ready to just be poor because this is the way shit's going. And I go, fine, 
I'll buy 250 bucks and I did it on Coinbase. I know you're gagging. It's okay. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still a no coiner. When, whenever you buy your first coin, you're technically a, a no coiner until it's, until you've actually completed the purchase. And even then I was a no coiner in my mind until I actually got it onto a ledger hardware wallet. And that didn't happen until exactly one year later. Yes, I held Bitcoin on Coinbase for one year at least, if not a little bit longer. So one of the first things that I did that day that I bought $250 worth of Bitcoin was to send 0.2 Bitcoin worth 50 bucks at the time to Jack Spearco so that I could have a one-year subscription to his uh, member service brigade. And I won't get into what that is, but that's how he funds his podcast. Um, and it was to me worth it. It was like, you know, that was the cost, 50 bucks. I wanted to support my bro, you know? And so I gave him 50 bucks and yeah, do the math. 0.2 Bitcoin is what Jack Spearco took off of me somewhere in late September of, of uh, 2015. And everything changed for me. Uh, the second that I made that particular transaction is when I realized, holy shit. And I fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole very, very hard. Now, remember, this is all me coming out of permaculture and I'm carrying with me the, the, whole, the whole reason that I became really enamored with permaculture was after the Will Harris III interview. I heard several people and I was like, going, yeah, this is kind of cool. This is kind of cool. But it wasn't until Will Harris that I started really getting into it to the point that I started really reaching out and looking for a whole bunch of different people to listen to. And that led me to Jack Spirico. Jack Spirico was my third touch, which caused me to pull the trigger on buying Bitcoin. And after I made that first transaction for buying the member service brigade off of Jack Spirico, I fell down the rabbit hole hard. So fast forward to 2022, we're seven years out. And what happens? I'm at a conference talking to people about permaculture, regenerative agriculture, and Bitcoin with my good buddy, Texas Slim, who then tells me that the third beef initiative is going to be at Will Harris III's farm. Can you close a circle any more neat than that? I had never talked about Will Harris to Texas Slim. He went out and found him on his own. How many ranchers is it, do you think you could find if you were to throw a rock, you know, out in, in rural, any, pick any state, rural that state, rural Texas, rural Georgia? What are the chances that Texas Slim... <clears throat> gets to know and gets uh Will Harris gets to know Will Harris and then gets Will Harris to host the third beef initiative conference on his land. What are the chances of that shit? If you can't tell, I'm kind of freaking out about it a little bit. It's eerie. It's kind of spooky and and it's it's strange, but all in a good way. In a very good way. Somehow or another, it's almost as if the universe is like, yeah, I know you spent three years on this podcast. It's kind of going nowhere. And yet you still get up and fucking do it. Why? Now I kind of know why. I kind of get it. But I want to end 
this talk about Will Harris's thing was with this one statement here. In 2017, White Oak pastors sequestered 919 tons of carbon dioxide in the soil and their grass-fed beef had a carbon footprint 111% lower than conventional beef. Now, I am not a big fan of the carbon footprint thing. In fact, I think it's about as stupid as... as When somebody asks me about my carbon footprint, I basically just want to spit in their face because I'm so done with the wokeness that it's not even funny. All of it. But one thing that I am a fan of is putting carbon into the soil. And I'm not talking about taking straight carbon dioxide and pumping it into the ground like some of these idiots are talking about. I'm talking about using photosynthesis to take CO2, turn it into longer chain molecules such as proteins, sugar, fat, and then they bleb 50% off of all those products off into the soil to feed the microbiology that's down there. And that gives immune, uh, immunosuppression, or no, not immunosuppression. That gives the plant better immunity to pathogens. It gives better growth cycles. It gets, uh, the plants get a better quotient of minerals because the organic acids being released from the soil microbiota is breaking down things like phosphorus that are usually in a form that plants can't use and turn it into a form that, guess what, plants can use. And I won't get into all of the stuff that goes on into the soil, but I will tell you this, the more carbon that you can put into the soil, the better your water retention, which means that you can survive a drought, the better your nutrient cycling for the plants, which does a whole lot of other stuff. And between those two things, the pasture pastures as they grow and they sequester more carbon grow more plants which means that you need to put more animals on the same acre to be able to take care of that grass you have to have that mown off if you want to maintain your pastures if you let grass tote grow too long and it falls over that next spring that blocks the sunlight for the new plant growth to come up so eventually your pastures just kind of die they're the pasture is required to have ruminal animals on top of it that munch that shit down so that by the time that the next spring comes around, there's enough sunlight hitting the soil to warm it up and the soil microbiota to wake up the plant roots to have it start making more plant, right? This all works together. And if you screw up anything in between, you've screwed up 500 million years of evolution on this planet as far as plants and animals and the relationships and soils and soil microbiota, all that stuff gets jacked out of shape, which is why half of fucking Texas was in the sky on 38 mile an hour sustained winds gusting to 50 on my way down to the beef initiative conference. Yeah. Soil erosion also gets stopped by having a shit ton of carbon in the soil. And in fact, if you had a hundred million acres, with fully functional soil at fully functional photosynthesis, all the people that are in hysterics about how much oil and gas we're burning would probably not shut the fuck up, but they would literally not have one single credible leg to stand on. If you get a chance, if you're interested at all in animal welfare, 
livestock management, pasture management. If you want to know more about grass-fed beef and the nutritional values, then go out to Will Harris III's White Oak Pastures sometime in September. Go to the beefinitiative.com website, okay? I know this sounds like a huge ad for Beef Initiative, but I believe in what those guys are doing. I believe in what Texas Slim is doing. I think he's been able to get a hold of very credible people and get them to actually take action. So if you can get out to Will Harris's farm, ask him about the road the county forced him to build through his land where they had to literally plow and remove topsoil because he had built so much topsoil that they had to remove it to get a level road to match where it was coming from his neighbor's property because his neighbors weren't doing this. That's how much topsoil he built. Ask him about the soil profile that he took pictures of when they cut that road. That And he didn't want the road, by the way. They cut that road without his permission. They told him what do they what you usually say, eminent domain. It's eminent domain. We have to build this road. You know what he says about that road? Nobody uses it. It's a waste. It was a waste of money and it cut his farm in fucking half. But he took like a good regeneration or a regen ag permaculture guy. He took the opportunity to take a good look at the soil profile that had occurred on that particular farm for the last few decades. And he was blown away by his own results. Now, those are some numbers. Let's run some numbers of our own. Flammable liquids. West Texas Intermediate up a half a point to $99.03. Brent North Sea up a half a point to $102.82. Natural gas up three and a half points, $6.89 per thousand. And gasoline up 0.86% to $3.26. Gold and what else? Palladium is the only positive movers in shiny metal rock land. Gold is up 0.38% to $1,903. Congratulations, Peter Schiff. You're right back where you were 15 years ago or something like that. Silver, $23.57 after a 0.4 move to the downside. Platinum down a third, copper down a third, and palladium is actually up 2.07%. Agricultural futures are mixed after having a big rally this morning. 0.98% to the upside for wheat. Uh, soybean down a scant, corn down a quarter, sugar down a quarter, coffee down scant. Uh, rough rice is the big winner today, 2.1% to the upside. Dow down over a point. S&P down over ooh, one and a half points. NASDAQ is taking a dump today, y'all. 2.46% to the downside. That must be activist investors hyperventilating about the takeover of Twitter by Elon Musk, the evil one, the one that they praised for years and years and years to save the earth has now become pariah number one. S&P mini likewise down one and a half points. Real money, $39,821.84. Clearly, Bitcoin is also struggling along with pretty much everything else. Oh God, everything is weird. It's so weird. Uh, 4.6 million Bitcoin have been sent 
in the last 24 hour period. I haven't seen a number like that in six months. Holy shit. That's 191,000 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 16.15 BTC, a median transaction value holding at 0.014 BTC or about 560 bucks. Block times are insanely low. They're 10% off of their where they should be at nine minutes and zero seconds. 0.06 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 11.17 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period with not a single change percentage wise in hash rate. We are at 224.19 exahashes per second. Doge, as you might imagine, has been rallying because of the evil one. And Doge lover, Elon Musk, taking over Twitter, 15.2 United States pennies. So it is now decoupled as your shitcoin indicator. But I guarantee you, not far in the future will it be your shitcoin indicator again. 4,879 transactions are waiting on four blocks to clear. We have a $753.2 billion market cap. That is 6% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 20.8 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,022,679.68 of, and 3,636.8 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $144 million, running over 16,769 nodes, sporting 81,941 payment channels that we know about, and 72% of all of that is being run over TOR's 11,625 associated nodes that we also know about, or we think we know about, and that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use, Bitcoin Magazine. The Swiss tradition is a perfect match for Bitcoin, written by Finn Cruz. Independence. In 1291, three regions of the Holy Roman Empire seceded and swore an oath that founded the Swiss Confederacy. This movement, born out of a longing for freedom and independence, began when the mythical national hero William Tell challenged a tyrannical bailiff called Albrecht Giesler. Over 700 years later, Bitcoin was created to secede from the existing financial and monetary order. In its struggle for freedom and independence, Bitcoin fights traditional finance, dishonest narratives, and the regulatory overreach of agencies such as the SEC run by Gary Gensler. It is said... That history does not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. In this case, ironically, Gessler and Gensler literally rhyme. Bitcoin and Switzerland share a fundamental philosophy relating to freedom and independence. We at Numbers believe Bitcoin is the world's best safe haven store of value, and Switzerland will become the logical destination to store one's precious private keys. Rooted in its long tradition of safety, stability, and privacy, Switzerland will transform its financial landscape as a result of Bitcoin, and we will be at the forefront of this inevitable development. Ever since its creation, Switzerland has molded its system on the founding principles of freedom and independence. A deeply ingrained distrust of centralized power has given it a unique political system based on a loose union of states, or cantons, which all retain their own parliaments, governments, and courts. 
This loose union is bound together by a weak central core or a federal government that enacts decisions made in a system of national referenda. The general population remains the ultimate arbiter of the political power and guardian of the rule of law. This decentralized governance system has made it one of the safest, most stable, and wealthiest countries in the history of the world, as well as the world's premier safe haven destination for the accumulation of wealth. A large portion of the world's art, gold, and precious stones are stored in the world's most secure vaults in Switzerland. Switzerland also has a long tradition of financial privacy. In early 18th century, European Catholic monarchs gave their money to Swiss Protestant bankers to manage, and neither side wanted it to be known that they were dealing with each other. The Great Council of Geneva thereby began a tradition of banking secrecy, which would be enshrined in Swiss law in 1934. Subsequent attempts by governments around the world to confiscate assets and impose exorbitant taxes led to increasing amounts of capital to Switzerland. The prestige of the Swiss financial system has outlived political crises, world wars, and economic catastrophes. Today, banking secrecy and traditional finance is all but dead, but Bitcoin has established a new and superior pseudonymous transaction system. Through cryptography, Bitcoin has allowed for the creation, transfer, and storage of economic value on the digital sphere. It is run on a decentralized, borderless protocol maintained by a global network of computers owned by no single person, government, or legal entity. Its supply is unalterable and is on a known issuance schedule maxing out at 21 million Bitcoin, vastly superior to cash, as no government has the power to debase Bitcoin by producing more of it. It also is superior to gold and other precious metals as its supply is predictable, the schedule of supply issuance is fixed and unalterable. Beyond its fixed supply, Bitcoin's technical attributes make it far safer, more practical, and discreet than traditional stores of value. Economic, or rather enormous economic value, can be easily divided and transferred across the planet cheaply, securely, and instantaneously in Bitcoin. The only infrastructure required for the system to run is the internet. Beyond practicality, Bitcoin is breaking the traditional financial order by giving its users unadulterated ownership over their economic assets. There is no bank or financial intermediary, which people have no trust to manage their livelihood. With a non-custodial wallet and private keys, each user acts as their own bank. This feature of Bitcoin, among others, is revolutionary. You no longer have to trust banks and you no longer have to worry about governments enforcing financial censorship, confiscation, or other draconian policies via banks. Bitcoin's hard cap, technical attributes, and private key ownership make it the world's best safe haven store of value. This financial revolution allowed the Bitcoin network to settle over $13 trillion of transactions in 2021 and brought its market cap to over $1 trillion. We believe this is just the beginning and increasing global instability and economic mismanagement will lead to growing grassroots adoption and increased momentum for Bitcoin. Society will eventually reach a tipping point and fiat will be entirely discredited as a means of exchange. Bitcoin will become the only logical and viable alternative. An increasing number of nations will accept it as legal tender and make it the basis of a new monetary order. In order to fully benefit from this financial revolution, users must store their Bitcoin in non-custodial wallets that give them full control over private keys. Recent events around the world have shown how governments can easily use banks and centralized exchanges to expropriate users of their wealth, 
Bitcoin, through the use of private keys, puts people's wealth outside of this overreach. The ownership and storage of private keys is thus of primordial importance to preserve one's livelihood. It is for this reason that Switzerland is the logical place to develop the safest solution to store Bitcoin. With a long tradition of safety and financial discretion, a Swiss non-custodial wallet backed up by military encryption in the heart of the Swiss Alps is the only way that one's Bitcoin will be fully protected and conveniently accessible. In order for Switzerland to remain at the forefront of finance, it will have to adapt and continue its long tradition of financial security and excellence. We are delighted to see that the legal framework is at the cutting edge of the needs of a new digital monetary system, and we will continue to strive to take a leading role in the industry. Okay, now, isn't that an interesting, and actually what it is, is that it's a, it's a nice thing. This is a nice article to send your newbie just fresh to Bitcoin or even your no coiner friends if they're having questions about Bitcoin. This is one of the ones to send them because this pretty much breaks it down and is a good start point for a lot of people. By the way, Finn Cruz is the CEO of the Swiss Bitcoin company Numbers. And yes, it's spelled jacked up, N-U-M-B-R-S. Please, people, stop dropping letters or switching letters positions and thinking it's cool. Notwithstanding, this is still a really good piece. So send it on to your friends. Uh, Fidelity is reportedly allowing retirement savings accounts to invest in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Okay, Uh, you heard about it this morning probably already. Let's see what Prashant Jha has to say about it out of Cointelegraph. The United States-based retirement plan provider Fidelity Investments will reportedly will reportedly allow 401k retirement saving account holders to directly invest in Bitcoin. The new Bitcoin retirement investment plan would go live later this year. It will allow over 23,000 companies associated with Fidelity to administrate their retirement accounts to offer Bitcoin investment options to their customers, reported the Wall Street Journal. If the proposal to allocate BTC to their savings account gets approval from employers, it will allow retirement savers to allocate up to 20% of their portfolio in Bitcoin. Fidelity is currently in discussions with several of the employers that use its services and MicroStrategy has reportedly already agreed to the BTC investment plans. The case for retirement savings accounts to invest in Bitcoin is not new. Earlier in June 2021, another retirement plan provider for us all partnered with Coinbase to offer BTC exposure to its retirement savings account holders. However, Fidelity's interest in the sector would definitely elevate the idea into the mainstream. Dave Gray, head of workplace retirement offerings and platforms at Fidelity, noted that the decision to offer Bitcoin exposure to 401k plan holders was based on high client demand. He said, and I quote, we started to hear a growing interest from plan sponsors organically as to how could Bitcoin or how could digital assets, stop with the shit coinery, be offered in a retirement plan. We fully expect that cryptocurrency is going to shape the way future generations think about investing for the near term and the long term, end quote. 
Gray also noted that apart from its initial support for Bitcoin, the company would add shitcoin assets to the investment option depending on the client's demand. With over four trillion, that's trillion with the T, let's do it again, with over four trillion worth of assets under management. Fidelity was among the early mainstream financial institutions to dwell in dwell into crypto with the launch of its digital asset arm in 2018. Since then, the investment firm has been one of the biggest advocates for Bitcoin. Let's hope that they stay with Bitcoin and not get their people into the shitstorm that is altcoins, ICO, shitcoins, and other things that make literally no sense whatsoever. Now let's do this one from Bitcoin Magazine. Sam Rules writing this one. Bitcoin supplies more distributed than critics claim. Now this is from a recent edition of Bitcoin Magazine Pro. So it's just an, ex an excerpt, but we will go with it. Retail holds 14% of the supply. One of the most common Bitcoin fear, uncertainty, and doubt critiques is that the majority of supply is heavily concentrated in the hands of the few. Like every financial system or asset class that exists today, there is some truth to that type of distribution, but it's almost always exaggerated in Bitcoin's case. Bitcoin's share of supply held by estimated retail investors has been talking or taking more share of the network every year. It's one of the only assets in the world where anyone with an internet connection and a smartphone can obtain having incredibly low adoption friction for the common individual. Many critics cite an address chart like this one and call it truth. The truth is that tracking supply distributions across addresses is incredibly nuanced and it's a key reason why Glassnode has used a suite of heuristic, heuristics and clustering algorithms to estimate entities rather than addresses on the network. What Glassnode found in their analysis one year ago is that, quote, we can derive that around 2% of network entities control 71.5% of Bitcoin. Note that this figure is substantially different from the often propagated 2% control 95% of the supply, end quote. And that 71.5% was an upper bound, i.e. a high estimate of the supply distribution concentration. There are many reasons why the retail share is likely larger because of Bitcoin with custodians, supply on exchanges, lost coins, and a conservative methodology to identify entities. When digging into the entity supply distribution data today, we find a clear trend of retail entities holding less than 10 BTC, <clears throat> increasing their share of circulating supply from 1.5% in 2012 to 13.9% in 2022 on average. The largest share growth of supply comes from entities holding between 1 and 10 BTC and 0.1 to 1 BTC. The data contributes to the case that Bitcoin is a money designed for and accessible to the global common individual. Although institutions and institutional capital flowing into the network is likely the next major price catalyst and will imp impact supply share, we continue to see the network share of retail rise as anyone in the world can acquire and store Bitcoin for themselves. It's been a first of its kind case study where for once, retail and individuals are able to access assets and economic wealth before institutions. And that's 
the most important sentence of this entire thing. You are still, even with the whole fidelity announcement, you are still right now able to front run the majority of the world's corporations and institutions because the majority of those are sitting there with a thumbs up their asses trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do with all their cash on hand. BlackRock decided to go into real estate. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see BlackRock no longer be the richest institution or corporation on the face of the planet. I mean, enriched by assets under management. Because I think there's going to be a bloodbath in real estate. And I think it's coming soon, TM. And where did BlackRock put all their cash on hand? Well, they sure as shit didn't put it into Bitcoin. They put it into the housing market by buying single family houses, hoping to rent those back out when people lose their homes. What's left of the people that actually own homes. And they may be right, but I don't think they're going to get the kind of rent that they needed to project or that they did project on their balance sheet to make those all the purchases by their assets, liquid assets, make sense to the investors in BlackRock. And I think there's going to be some heads rolling down the street very, very soon. For those of you who don't think that I'm right, I get it. Maybe this time it is different. Maybe this time it doesn't look exactly like 2008 where nobody learned their lessons and the exact same people who caused the problem in the first fucking place because they didn't go to jail are still in the exact same chairs that they occupied pre-2008. I would not bet against me at this point. I'm not saying this is investment advice, but if you're looking to buy a house, you might consider having some patience. That's all I'm going to say. You lock yourself in to a 7% loan or five or, well, I think it's going to be end up being more like seven or 8% as of today on a $450,000 house, you're fucking hosed. However, a seven to 8% loan on a $160,000 house, uh, depending on your income might not be so bad. I'm just saying practice, Patience, because the people at Ethereum and Ronin Network certainly don't know anything about patience. U.S. Treasury links more Ethereum wallets to the $622 million Ronin Network hack. Andrew Hayward, writing at 4decrypt.co last week. The United States Department of the Treasury linked North Korean hacking group Lazarus to an Ethereum wallet used in March's $622 million exploit of the Ronin network, a sidechain created for play-to-earn game Axie Infinity. Now, the department has identified three additional wallet addresses tied to the attack. Today, the Treasury's Office of Foreign Asset Control, OFAC, added the wallets to its list of sanctions tied to the state-sponsored Lazarus. Over the past week, all three wallets have been sent significant sums of stolen funds from the original wallet tied to the Ronin attack. The latest move is important because Tornado Cash, a transaction mixing service that makes it more difficult to trace the movement of cryptocurrency between wallets, announced last week that it will automatically block any wallet addresses listed on OFAC sanctions list Pausing to make sure that you understand how is that any different than what Canada did to the truckers? Just because it's uh, based in theft doesn't make it right. All right. Just because it's based in the fact that you have a protest doesn't make it right. You shouldn't be able to do any of that. 
And yet here we have Ethereum and Tornado Cash and they're going to do it. Shitcoin at your own risk, people. One of the newly added wallet addresses began funneling funds through Tornado Cash earlier today ahead of the U.S. Treasury's latest additions. Following the Treasury's move, the wallets will be prohibited from using Tornado Cash thanks to chain analysis powered features. The bridge that connects the Ronin network to the Ethereum mainnet was exploited in late March with about $622 million worth of Ethereum and USDC stablecoins stolen in the process. According to Axie Infinity developer Sky Mavis, the bridge was exploited via hacked private keys that let the attacker sign fraudulent transactions. Sky Mavis has pledged to either recover or reimburse the stolen user funds and raised $150 million in new funding from investors to aid in that process. Who the fuck would invest in that? We got hacked. We need money to pay our, our, our guys back. Can we get some of your money as an investment group? Oh, sure. We'll just give you money because you were too stupid to figure out how to wipe your own ass. Of course we will. Hundred, here's $150 million, you morons. Binance led the round. Binance led the round with participation from Anamakoa Brands, Andreessen Horowitz, Paradigm, and others. They are going to chop Sky Mavis up into little bitty pieces. I guarantee it. Earlier today, Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao tweeted that the cryptocurrency exchange had recovered $5.8 million worth of funds sent to it by the attacker's wallet. The funds had been spread between 86 Binance accounts, according to Zhao. So there you go. More chicanery afoot in the Ronin network hack. And that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Dad says jokes. I bought a dog off a blacksmith today. And as soon as I got it home, it, made a bolt for the door. Made a bolt for the door. Get it? (laughs) All right, guys. Um, I'm going to try to get back uh, to uh, the normal way that I do the show where there's two segments of news, but honestly, I might start, I don't know, maybe I'll add stories like, you know, I've got some stories that I should probably start telling you guys um, because some of them, some of them are kind of interesting. Um, but I, I kind of hope that you liked what I was doing with the first of the show today as well as yesterday, because these things are becoming more and more important. It's in my opinion, it's, it had, this is no longer going to be about the great big conferences. This is going to be about the small regional notally connected conferences. And that brings up a good question. How can like somebody, like like I said yesterday, every synthetic system on the face of the planet is fucked and Bitcoin can fix them all, but you've got to plug Bitcoin into it. And that's what happened at the Beef Initiative. But what about a small, like small medical doctors that, you know, don't take insurance? that, you know, uh, service a family in a rural, you know, services families in rural communities, a conference like that, plug Bitcoin into that conference too. But how does that conference talk to Beef Initiative Conference or some other conference that represents something else? I think that if we figure out how to connect up the, first of all, 
have the conferences and and do the small ones. Well, don't, don't, I'm not saying don't go to Bitcoin 2023. That's not what I'm saying. But stuff like don't miss out on the small conferences like Bitblock Boom, Beef Initiative. Um, there's gonna, I think we should have more of these. I really do. 100 people, 250, be like 500 people tops. Small places around the country that represent somehow some industry that is part of a screwed up synthetic system and how Bitcoin might be able to fix it and then figure out a way to connect that with other small conferences somehow, either by trading speakers or I don't know how, I don't know. If you've got a better idea on how to do, how to do that kind of thing, let me know. Just let me know or do it yourself. I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying it's gonna be incredibly important moving forward that even the conferences become decentralized. If you, you know what I didn't hear at all at either Bitblock Boom, nor did I hear it at um, Beef Initiative. I heard no talk about shitcoins at all. I heard nobody say anything whatsoever, whatsoever about shitcoins in general, ICOs, nothing. You were either talking about grass-fed beef, pasture management, farming, ranching, or Bitcoin. That was it. And medicine, you know, like I said, nutrition. That was it. I think the future, I think I'm going to have a better time going to the small conferences rather than going for the big conferences. Not, like I said, it's not that I wouldn't want to go to Bitcoin 2023. I'd love to. But I think we should really start looking at putting up smaller conferences, something that's between Miami 2023 or Bitcoin 2023 and BitDevs, something that floats around the middle of that, I think would be a very good idea. With that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.